The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We have a great guest with us this morning, Morty Lefko, who's the president and founder of the Lefko Institute. He's also a creator of a series of processes called the Lefko Method that result in profound and personal organizational changes quickly and permanently. He's the author of Recreate Your Life, Transforming Yourself and Your World. He's conducted hundreds of seminars for groups of CEOs on limiting beliefs, how to identify and eliminate them. He's been a columnist and a writer for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune Magazine. Morty, we are so lucky to have you here today. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to hear your voice. So tell us where you are today. Uh, actually, <laughs> physically, I'm in uh, Northern California, just over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, sitting in my office. Um, it's a beautiful day out, too. We have a nice, uh, nice, beautiful fall day. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's start by talking a bit about your background because, um, you know, I think most people would assume that your background in um, counseling and mental health um, was the beginning of all this. But, in fact, you had an interest in things like this long before that. So let's talk about you and um, you in your early 20s. So what were you doing then? Well, uh, my early 20s, I was actually doing a lot of writing, but um, early in my life, there was probably no spirituality at all. All I was interested in doing was being a multimillionaire business person. I mean, my ultimate goal was my picture on the cover of Fortune and lots of money in the bank. Uh-huh. And uh, I was a writer for many years, four publications, as you mentioned, and then at some point I sort of moved over into writing for organizations because organizations paid more speech writing and other types of material that organizations needed than uh, than, than uh, media publications. Sure. And then I moved from writing for publications to starting to give advice, and I became a consultant, largely in the area of communications. And after several years, I noticed something interesting. I noticed that very often I would be asked for uh, my advice, in other words, what should we do in this situation? And I would do some research and think about it and say, here's my recommendation. And nine times out of ten, the clients had never thought of that great idea, thank you very much. But when I called six months later, they hadn't done it. And I couldn't figure out why would somebody pay me a lot of money to get some you know, suggestions, some advice, some strategy, and then not take advantage of it when they agreed. But I noticed something interesting. I said, you know, I do the same thing. There are things I know I should do. I should exercise more. I should eat a certain way. 
I know I get involved in relationships from the beginning that I know aren't going to work out, but I stay in them anyway. And I noticed that I also didn't do what I knew I should do. And at some point, I sort of reached the conclusion, what determines what people do? And I think most of us have an assumption, even if we never state it explicitly, is that information and motivation determines behavior. We raise children that way. We train people in organizations that way. We deal with friends that way. We give advice and say, here's what makes sense. Here's the information. And can you see the advantages of doing it and the disadvantages of not doing it? But if you stop and think about it, you realize that most of the time, information and motivation doesn't change behavior. So I started saying, well, if it's supposed to, what really does? And at some point, after a lot of thinking, I came up with the idea that what really changes our behavior or determines our behavior are our beliefs. Because our beliefs are the way we see reality. A belief is nothing more than a statement about this is the truth about reality. And we act consistently with the way we think reality is. So knowing something we should do, information and motivation, make no difference at all if it's inconsistent with our beliefs. So at that time, I started saying, okay, that's interesting. Now, how do I change beliefs? And about 25 years ago, I came up with a process that enables people to uh, quickly, uh, easily, and permanently change the beliefs we form early in life and throughout our life. And by being able to change the beliefs, we're able to change virtually anything in our life. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that um, there was no spirituality in your life, per se, and I know that you spent some time um, with some people who were, I think in the 60s, who were really looking for spirit in life at, in, at the Est, at Est, right? Who was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing that exposed me to uh, any transformational anything or spiritual something, and uh, uh, it made a profound difference in my life. There were a lot of things I didn't like about the organization, but the training itself I have to give a lot of credit to because that, that's, that's actually the turning point in my life. Well, what about that opened up something in you? Well, it gave me a sense that there was something more than materialism, there was something, I, I was something more than this thing called Morty, this creation called Morty, this, you know, this is my body and, and, and my thoughts and feelings, which is who I thought I was, and realized that maybe there's a consciousness, maybe there's something that was here before me and will be here after me, so I had a sense of spirituality, and it just opened up a whole new way of looking at what life was about, and there was some shift from uh, wanting to be famous and have lots of money in the bank to really wanting to make a difference in the world. And I mm -hmm. actually, after I took the S training, I actually went to work at S for several years and uh, worked on the staff, um, uh, running several different projects and several different departments. And then at some point I left and I assisted for a while. I was a seminar leader and a training supervisor and stuff like that. And then at some point I got real busy with my children and we moved out of New York and it became too difficult, and I stopped. But uh, it, it, it made a profound difference in how I looked at life, and uh, that's when I shifted to really wanting to make some difference in the world, and that's what my life has been about ever since. Amazing. So tell us more about how you then moved on. You said you moved out of New York. What yeah, I, uh, I had lived when I, well, to go back, I was, Born in Florida and 
moved to New York after the University of Chicago and lived there for many years. And uh, then after I did the S training, I think it was in 65, uh, 75, 65, God, I've lost track of time, 65. Um, uh, I did the S training in no, 75, and I lived out in California for a couple of years uh, on the S staff, then I moved back to New York. And after my uh, first daughter was born, uh, Blake, we moved to Connecticut and lived there about 20 years. But I always loved San Francisco and said I was going to come back someday. And about eight years, we moved back to Northern California, and we've been here ever since. Well, you've also worked in the corporate world. You were, you worked for, if I remember right, you worked for an advertising agency. I worked uh, in several PR firms. I worked for PR. several public relations right, firms, right, and right. I did some public relations and uh, communications work for a couple of actual corporations. I think one of them was Columbia Gas. But I've had a lot of background in business before I was on. My original thing is I majored in business uh, at the University of Chicago Graduate Business School. And then my first job uh, in New York was actually on Wall Street. I was a securities analyst for several years and, and uh, institutional sales. So I also have that financial background. Well, you know, and I point to this purposely because um, I, I think that often there is a, a misassumption that people in this field, uh, people who do work like you do, um, have no sense of the realities of, you know, what goes on in business or um, how things could work in business and so that what you're talking about couldn't possibly apply. And yet here you are, somebody who has had those experiences. You're grounded in the reality of and what organizations are, you've worked inside them, you've had to produce. So, and here you are saying, you know, there's another way, there's another um, option for the way you look at your business or the way you get business done. So let's talk more about that. Let's talk more about this whole system you've created about um, creating your own beliefs and transforming your beliefs. Um, um, I'm going to... I'm going to do that because that's the essence, I think, of what is worth talking about. But I'm actually going to take a sidetrack just for one second to follow yeah. up on what you just said. Uh, I have found a way to help people identify and eliminate any beliefs they have, like the early childhood beliefs of I'm not good enough or life's difficult mm. or I'm not lovable or worthwhile, etc., that are responsible for any problem from serious depression and eating disorders uh, all the way through just worrying what people think of us or... Uh, lack of confidence or procrastination. And that's what I'm going to talk about in just one second. But real quickly, one of the things I discovered in my consulting work, I did a lot of work and I realized after I developed this whole process was that organizations are run by beliefs too. And I discovered that by changing beliefs in organizations, you can make radical changes in organizations. And I've done work in some uh, maybe 40 or 50 of them where you can change the beliefs and change the entire culture of an organization. If you change the belief of a manager who believes, I know what needs to be done, and the people I manage don't know, mm-hmm. that belief will necessitate you being a top-down autocratic boss. If you change that belief from, I know a lot, but as a group, the people I manage will know as much or more than me, just, just literally changing that belief and nothing more will turn that person into an empowering group leader who uh, who works to get 
information, and, and his job is to inspire people and let them come up with a lot of the ideas. So by changing beliefs, you can make radical changes in organizations, and I've done a lot of work in organizations doing that. I discovered the single most uh, destructive belief in organizations is the belief we can't. Because at any point during a meeting, if anybody's ever worked in a business environment at all, you know that you've never had a meeting of more than a half hour where somebody didn't make a suggestion, where somebody didn't pop up and say, oh, we can't possibly do that. Right. And then they talk about how they tried something in the past, etc. Right. So I actually developed a, a separate little process where you could deal with the belief we can't, whatever that happens to be. Uh, and I found a way to teach that to CEOs and other managerial people so that any time uh, they hear that in a meeting, it takes about three minutes to get rid of the belief we can't to open up a conversation for possibilities instead of trying to uh, deal with somebody who's convinced it's not going to be done so the conversation's a waste of time. Well, and you know, you hit it right on the head. There, there's always um, a sense of why something cannot get done, or why it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And you know, it seems like that is related to a lot of fear. I mean, you know, what what would keep people in that state of oh, you know, we can't make that happen um, in organizations? Why would there not be just a sense of well, yeah, we're here to to make things happen. You know, let's just do it. Well, see, what a belief is, is taking a, a, we form beliefs as children and throughout life uh, by giving meaning to events that really have no inherent meaning. So uh, early on in life, I'll come back to the, the business example in a minute, but let me just sort of say in general how beliefs are formed. So if, for example, if mom and dad are critical a lot of the time, and uh, you're not doing what they want, when they want, how they want, and their reaction ranges anywhere from mild annoyance or frustration to anger, yelling, and spanking or punishment. What does it mean to a child? Because if you've had a child or been around children, you know from the age of two on, the, the word that you hear the most is, is why, how come. So children, until we, you know, <laughs> until we lose that somewhere in school where we're told we ask why too much, uh, yeah, right. We're always asking why, and the more curious, creative people ask why forever. So we're asking, what does it mean that mom and dad are dissatisfied or critical or unhappy with me or angry at me? And since mom and dad are adults, they must know what they're doing, and I know that I don't know anything. If they're angry, it's got to be me. I guess I'm not good enough. So the meaning we give to the events around us when we're trying to understand why and we could conclude, I'm not good enough. And unless you deal with that belief somehow, we have it for the rest of our life. Mm. It's the same thing is if mom and dad aren't around physically a lot of the time, or they're around physically, but emotionally you know that they're, they're off someplace, you know, playing with their Blackberry or watching TV or talking to each other, what does it mean that I can't get mom and dad's attention? I guess I'm not important. And if mom and dad are saying, you know, what's wrong with you? How many times do I have to tell you? Can't you do anything right? Oh, I guess it's bad to make mistakes. Mistakes and failure are bad. So we form these beliefs. If mom and dad argue a lot or get divorced, it can be relationships are difficult or relationships don't work. Mm. If mom and dad make all the decisions and you're never consulted, you never have a chance to participate in anything, and you're told, here's what to do because I said so, you conclude I'm powerless. So basically all a belief is is giving meaning to what's going on around us. 
And once and, we say that's the way it is, it's as if, but I can see it. That's the truth. I saw every day of my childhood that I'm not important or I'm powerless or life's difficult or whatever. So we can hold the belief. Ultimately, we can hold, are the source of all of our behavior and our feelings from then on. So we can hold a belief, even if it's not accurate. We can hold it. And are you saying that even if we are shown throughout our life that this may not be true, we can continue to hold that belief? Yes, and I'll, let me explain why, because this is one of the interesting things I discovered. It was when I discovered this that I was able to figure out a way to eliminate the beliefs. But the question is, is why are beliefs hold on so much with years of therapy or all kinds of information that you get later on? And what happens early on is, when we look at an event that has no meaning in itself, and we say, what does it mean, and we come up with a meaning, what we do is we attribute that meaning to the event. We put the meaning on the event. And from then on, it's as if we can see it. So one of the, the process we use to help people get rid of beliefs, in the middle of the process, I say, go back and be a little child. Imagine one of those times with mom and dad when they were yelling or they weren't around or they were telling you what to do, whatever the situation happens to be, and put yourself in that situation and, and imagine you're there. Doesn't it seem as if you can almost see I'm not good enough or whatever the belief is? And the well, you know, and it absolutely see. does seem that way. And yeah. hold on to that thought, Morty, because we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to have you walk us through how you eliminate a belief. We'll be right back. Good. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we have special guest Morty Lefko with us today. 
the author of Recreate Your Life, Transforming Yourself and Your World. So, Marty, before we went to break, we were talking about um, how beliefs are formed and the process that you have developed to undo these beliefs that may not be serving us anymore in our lives. So, well, let's start there. Let's start at, you took us back to when we were kids, so let's start there. Well, as I was saying, the, the, I want to just make sure that this point is clear. The basic issue is, is that we attribute meaning to events that have no meaning. And once we do, it's as if you can see that meaning in the event. So if you go back, as I said before the break, if you look at mom and dad yelling at you, it's like, but I can see I'm not good. I mean, if, if, I, if you were there with me and you looked at mom and dad saying, what the hell is wrong with you, you'd have seen I'm not good enough. So... How do we know reality? Most people are visual. So most people know reality because they can see it. So once you've seen it, and now I come along years later as a friend or a therapist or whatever, and I tell you, but it's not logical, but it doesn't make sense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, all of that's fine, but you said, but I could see it as a child. And you'll never get enough logical evidence to overcome the evidence of the senses. So, so as long let's, as you let me, think let's you can restate, see it, you're restate, never going to get talked out of it. Let's, let's restate this. I think it's so vital. You said we attribute meaning to events that have no meaning. That have no inherent meaning. That have no inherent meaning. So when I see... You, it could be because you're not good enough. It could be because they have lousy parenting skills. It could be that they thought you weren't good enough, but they were wrong. It could mean that they were running out of their own beliefs and it had nothing to do with you. They yell at everybody. Mm. You know, the fact that mom and dad yell at you tells me nothing for sure about you. Right, right. So, so we, in, we insert our own meaning, whatever that is, and then we hang on to that. Yes. And we hang on to it, not out of stubbornness, not out of mistake, not out of anything. We hang on to it because we think we can see it. Mm-hmm. Once we come up with the meaning, life is difficult, you never get what you want as a child, you're in a poor situation, or mom and dad just don't, for some reason, don't give you anything. But I can see life is difficult. <laughs> Can't you see? I mean, every day life's difficult. I can see it. Mm-hmm. So basically, a belief is really something you think you can see, and therefore you'll never get talked out of it, even though logically you can say it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to believe it, I can make, uh, logically, I can see it doesn't make sense. I can see it self-defeating. But deep down, whether you're aware of it or not, you think you saw it many, many times. And if you can see it, then it's true. And so that would apply to, uh, my guess is, for things that are positive, right? That's and right. that's why the concept of visualization is so powerful. Well, again, if you, if you uh, uh, form positive beliefs, I mean, your parents have a great relationship, for example, and you say relationships are wonderful, then you operate as I could see relationships are wonderful. I saw it right. every day of my life. Right. So you didn't. You saw one relationship. You made the same generalization, but this generalization was positive instead of a negative one. But, yes, so you form them. <clears throat> and this, by the way, is to just sidetrack for a second. This gets to your question about the belief. Uh, 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 I just lost it. Uh, oh, How it could uh, be uh, positive. Uh, oh, the, 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 the business belief, oh, we can't. And you're saying, but, uh, but yeah. why would people believe that when they're there to, to improve, to change, etc.? Right. See, if you try something once and it doesn't work, 
and you try something again and it doesn't work, and you then conclude it can't be done, then you've concluded it can't be done. And to you it seems like, but if you were here three years ago, you'd have seen that it can't be done too. Now, in fact, you didn't see it can't be done. What you saw was we couldn't do it at that time under those circumstances with that budget with those people in that market. But what we do is we generalize and say it can't be done. And you think you can see it can't be done. And basically, if you can see it can't be done, then why are you wasting your time trying to do something that we could see years ago can't be done? Fascinating. So then that becomes a limiting belief. That's right. So we got bit limiting beliefs again, as I say that it's not just an interesting academic exercise. I have discovered from 25 years of work that depression and eating disorders, everything from overeating, emotional eating, to bulimia, to OCD, to as I say, you name it, from relationship problems, worrying what people think of us, all of those can ultimately be traced to beliefs. And when you eliminate the beliefs that cause them, the problems just literally dissolve. That's fascinating. So, so walk us through the process. Okay. Uh, now, it, it, understanding it or thinking about it or um, hearing it is not the same thing as doing it. It's the same as talking right. about meditation. So right. I can talk about it. I just want you and the audience to know is that it's going to say, well, that sounds awfully simple, and how can that eliminate a belief? And whatever other reaction you might have is I just want to be clear that uh, uh, explaining it is not the same as actually doing it. Having said that, I'll tell you how it works. Okay. Basically, what you do is what you're interested in is not eliminating beliefs. Eliminating beliefs is a means to an end. What you're interested in is solving a problem. So people walk into our office not saying, help me get rid of, I'm not good enough. They walk in and saying, I have a fear of public speaking, I have social anxiety, I procrastinate, I yell all the time, whatever. So basically what you do is you start with some behavior or emotion in your life that you're not happy with that you want to get rid of, that you want to change. And then what we do is you say, well, what do you believe that could cause that? And as a result of a lot of training we've had, or if I were training somebody, it would take a while to train people, how do you find all of the relevant beliefs? But let's assume that one of the beliefs we find is, as I say, I'm not good enough. That's one of the beliefs that causes a given problem. And the next thing we would look at is, well, where did it come from? And based, again, on our experience, I know that 99.9% of the time that would come from interactions with parents when you're real young and they're dissatisfied in some way. And here's the thing that I would then say. As opposed to saying, it doesn't make sense to have your belief. It's irrational. It's illogical. It's an overgeneralization. And to try to talk you out of it, I would say just the opposite. Can you see that for a child, your belief was a totally reasonable, rational, understandable conclusion? And the answer is yes. So you didn't make a mistake as a child. You came up with the same belief that virtually anybody with the same circumstances would have concluded. So the first thing you do is instead of tell somebody they shouldn't believe what they believe, you validate and say it makes perfect sense. Number two, you then say is that is one valid logical interpretation, but are there several others that you didn't think of as a child, but that today you could say it has other meanings. And the purpose of this is to break up the idea that what you've got is the truth. And once you see that mom and dad's behavior, as I said a moment ago, 
could mean that the reason they yell at you is not because there's something wrong with you, that you're not good enough. They just have poor parenting skills. That could explain why they treated you the way they did. Or it could mean that you're not good at certain things, but it doesn't mean you're not a good enough person. And you can go on and find five or six alternative interpretations very easily, at which point it becomes clear, wait a minute, what I've been living with as the truth is a truth. It's one possibility, but it's not the only possibility. It's not the right possibility. It could mean many different things, and I just happened to pick one of them. So now you've loosened it up a little bit. Right. And then the next question is, is what we talked about a moment ago, go back and be a child, imagine your childhood, go back and be with mom and dad, imagine them being annoyed or angry. Doesn't it seem as if you can see your belief? And we're talking about now I'm not good enough, but whatever it happens to be. And the answer always is, well, of course I can see it. If you'd have been there, you'd have seen it too. And then I say, keep looking. Anything you can see, you can describe. Anything you can see, you can tell me its color, its shape, its location. What does it look like? And they say, well, it looks like mom and dad yelling. And I say, no, 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 mom and dad yelling, you could have a lot of meanings. I want to know what I'm not good enough looks like. At which point it becomes a, a breathtaking realization, I can't see it. I say, yeah, I know I can't see it. Where is it? It's in my mind. Wow. So what you've lived your whole life saying, I can see in the world, and it's got to be true because I can see it, isn't in the world and never has been in the world. The only place it's ever been has been in your mind, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So what does mom and dad's behavior really mean? What do I know for sure about you for sure from mom and dad's behavior? You don't know anything. Mom and dad's behavior has no inherent meaning. Right. So say I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Is that true? It's nonsense. This is fascinating. You know, I'm, <clears throat> when I think about leaders and organizations around the world who I have coached and who, who other people I know have coached, um, it's interesting because you often find this sense that people hold that, um, well, if people really knew, quote-unquote, if people really knew that I wasn't as good as it seems I am, you know, I'd probably be fired or mm-hmm. they wouldn't follow me or, you know, I don't know why I'm the one who ended up at the top of this organization if people really knew, mm-hmm. uh, right? You know, so it seems to me that um, this is connected to what you're talking about. Yeah, those, uh, you know from your personal experience in working with all those people, obviously as an executive coach, but there was a study that I read, uh, an anonymous study that was published in Fortune many years ago of Fortune 500 CEOs, the overwhelming majority of whom uh, acknowledged uh, confidentially, of course, that they were sitting there with the fear that someday they're going to find me out and take it all away. Right, right. And all that is is a lot of negative self-esteem beliefs that they had other kinds of beliefs that enabled them to, to uh, overcome, to get to their position, but it never got rid of See, it's interesting is you can be running a Fortune 500 multi-billion dollar corporation pulling down tens of millions of dollars a year, et cetera, et cetera, and still believe I'm not good enough and I'm powerless. Right, right. right. So basically, uh, and, and one of the things we've done is we've worked with a lot of coaches uh, where they have sent us their clients um, for two or three sessions to help them get rid of, number one, some negative self-esteem beliefs, or sometimes where uh, the coach and the client uh, determine a strategy of something to do, 
and they've got some sort of belief that's in the way of them doing it. Right. So by eliminating just a couple of beliefs, then they become free to to uh, pursue the strategy that the coaches, you know, help them devise. Right. Uh, the other thing is one of the most common beliefs that plague so many people is the belief, what makes me good enough or important is having people think well of me. Uh, and that particular belief, along with a couple of others, is uh, the source of worrying what people think of you and doing things just to get people's approval. So very often, needing people's approval or, or doing things only to get people's approval can get in the way of a lot of things that we might want to do. We're afraid to think for ourselves uh, or do things if we think somebody is not going to, going to like it or approve it. So sometimes right. getting rid of just a couple of beliefs can open us up to making some drastic changes in our behavior. So as I say, we've, we've uh, had that arrangement with several coaches where uh, they just sort of loan, loan as their client for a couple of sessions, <laughs> handle a couple of beliefs, send them back, and then they're, they find that their coaching work is a lot more effective with a couple of uh, limiting beliefs out of the way. Well, you know, and I, when as I hear you say that there are leaders who, you know, may be doing things just to make sure people like them, um, that could be devastating for an organization. That mean mm-hmm. that that means that a leader may be afraid to make the tough decisions or to make the tough calls. Yeah, you're afraid to fire somebody, or you're afraid to totally disagree. Uh, even if you do disagree, if you're afraid that there's some, you know, it can be anybody, or it can be certain kinds of people. Uh, that you're, you know, particularly worried about if somebody reminds you of your father or, you know, somebody who just appears to be very strong and knows what they're talking about. You're just afraid to uh, do that. And the whole other thing is uh, some people are afraid. A lot of people have the belief anger is dangerous, confrontation is mm-hmm. dangerous. So there right. are managers that I've seen along the way, individuals obviously, but some people, individuals who are managers that are impaired in their management because they're so afraid of confrontation. To, to never confront anybody and really tell people you're not doing what needs to be done and you've got to shape up and here's what needs to be done because they're confrontation. That is fascinating. You know, when I think about in not only in organizations but in relationships, I mean, this, what appears to be simple process, has such huge impact I mean, when I think about it, you know, just eliminating one or two of those beliefs could change people's lives. Yes, and it does. And we've probably got a thousand uh, comments from people, literally a thousand, on several of our different sites from my personal blog or, you know, from our website where people can can buy packages to eliminate beliefs. Uh, and it's it's uh, I've basically it's you know every day we get a couple more, and it's just I've tried everything, and a lot of things have been useful. But I just feel a weight is lifted off my shoulders. I just have a totally different sense of myself and what's possible when I got rid of uh, just a few beliefs. And I write him back saying, I'm happy that it's made such a difference, but wait till you eliminate all the beliefs that causes a specific <laughs> problem. And you notice not only that general emotional change, but your procrastination stops. That's just that. Or your concern with the opinion of others just stops. It just isn't there anymore. Right. So, well, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, um, I want you to tell us about how we identify these beliefs, because there are so many of them. We'll be right back and have more with Morty Lefko. Sounds good. (laughs) 
up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with Morty Lefko today, the creator of the Lefko Method, and he's been teaching us about eliminating beliefs that hold us back in our lives and in our organizations. So, Morty, this is a fascinating process, and it occurs to me that there must be so many limiting beliefs, and not everybody has the same ones. How do we find out? How do we learn which beliefs we hold? Well, it, it's a little tricky to explain that. I mean, I'll give you a general answer, but uh, it's one of the trickiest parts of the process, and we, in training people to do this process, we, there's three three-day weekends, uh, and ju- that particular thing is an entire weekend. Once you've identified what the issue or the problem is, uh, eating disorder, procrastination, worrying what people think of you, anger, etc., you then have to be able to figure out what it is. Uh, and a lot of it is experience. But the main thing is, is starting with just logically, what would you have to believe in order to act that way or feel that way? So, for example, if somebody is afraid of anger and they walk in and saying, if there's anger, if there's confrontation, I get terrified. I mean, I do anything to back away from a confrontation. So what do you believe? What would you have to believe to be afraid of that? Mm-hmm. And it's, well, it, you must think it's dangerous. You must think something bad will happen. So you, you sort of start, so as I say, logically, you say, what would, what would one have to believe? If you look inside, generally people start coming up with some things themselves. But right. as a facilitator, as somebody who helps them, that question you keep saying is, what would you have to believe? And as I say, after doing this uh, for a period of time, you start discovering that there's certain beliefs associated with... Um, with certain problems. So, for example, fear of public speaking, we've now helped maybe three, 4,000 people with that, wow. and we've done that so many times so effectively. Uh, in fact, we did, some, did a research uh, project with the University of Arizona and discovered that uh, we uh, put, a, put a group of people together with a fear of public speaking and broke them into two groups. 
and half of them were the control group who did nothing, and half of them we worked with helping them find and eliminate the beliefs. And we discovered that there were like about 10 or 12 beliefs that caused it. And after 10 or 12 beliefs, which took about four hours to do, the fear went away. So it went from an average, we asked people, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much anxiety do you have? And before we worked with them, it was 7. And Mm -hmm. after we worked with them and they went back and gave a speech again, how much fear did you experience? And the answer was 1.5. One being no anxiety at all, two being barely noticeable. Wow. So basically, so so I would say, for example, if you have the fear of public speaking, what would you have to believe to be afraid of public speaking? There's nobody with any guns out there. It's generally an audience that's interested in hearing what you have to say. Some people aren't afraid of public speaking, so speaking itself isn't inherently scary. What do you have to believe? Hmm. And what you yep. discover is, well, I'm, you know, what are you afraid of? Well, I might screw up. So you've right. got to have the belief mistakes and failure are bad. Right. And what if you right. made a mistake? Well, I could be rejected in some way. So if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be rejected. And what are you worried about people finding out if you screw up? Well, they could discover I'm not good enough or I'm not capable or I'm not competent. Okay. And what else are you worried about? Well, they might not be interested. People aren't interested in what I have to say, or maybe what I have to say is not important. I'm not so important. what you do is you start with um, where people are saying, this is an issue in my life. Yes. So, so when you're working with people, um, does it ever happen that as you are working on one belief, you begin to see that there are two or three other beliefs that that actually support this limiting belief, so they don't just have one? Well, it's not so much support. You can eliminate any given belief without eliminating another one. I mean, basically, each belief is independent. But, yes, there's, there's, there's no problem it's only one belief. In fact, public speaking is one of the simpler ones. There's maybe 10 or 12 beliefs there. Um, uh, lack of confidence or worrying what people think of you can be 16, 18 beliefs. Um, uh, depression is one of the most complex. There can be 20, 30 beliefs. So really, it's, every problem has a different number of beliefs, and most people who have a problem have some of the same beliefs. So I would say, you know, like nine, I, I could come up with the, with the beliefs that cause a fear of public speaking or a fear of rejection or a concern with the opinion of others, and I would say that 90% of the people, if you eliminate these 5, 10, 20 beliefs, that problem will go away. But there's always some individuals who don't have some of those and have a few others that are sort of idiosyncratic to them. So uh, uh, you, can, you, can, you can guess for most people, but there's always some people that it's not going to work for that you actually need to, to, to work one-on-one and really figure out what are your specific beliefs yeah. in order to be able to help you get rid of the problem. Do you have an example of one of the most outlandish beliefs or, or one of the most you know, outside-the-norm beliefs that you've ever heard? Um, I can't think of anything that's just totally outlandish. No, I can't think of any. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that speaks well, to the... I hear over and over and over. I mean, right, there, well, and... There, there's that's... some that, that I guess I've heard that I've never heard before, but uh, 95% of the ones you hear are the same ones. Again, it's not the same for every problem, right. but uh, everybody with a given problem says pretty much the same thing most of the time. So you've named a couple of common ones, you know, that I'm not important or failure is not a good thing. Um, What are some other ones? 
well, the, some of the, the common negative self-esteem beliefs is I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, um, what I want is not, it doesn't matter, what I think doesn't matter, what I feel doesn't matter. Uh, if every time you get upset as a kid, your parents, out of love, obviously, in very, very few cases, their parents, you know, don't care about you or want to hurt you. They love you and they want to do their best. But see, the whole, the whole thing for parenting, I'll answer your question and sort of segue into parenting for a second, which is my wife's passion, and she does a lot of work there and just actually created a seven-CD uh, program. Uh, well, you're talking about Shelley. You're, you're talking about Shelley Lefko, yeah, who we have, had, Shelley, who's a we have had on this show, thousands and, and thousands of people. But when you work with people and you discover that every problem they have comes from beliefs, almost all of which are formed in childhood, you start discovering hmm, what should parents do to help their children form positive rather than negative beliefs. So you start getting a sense of uh, of what that is and how you need to act in order to have a child form positive beliefs rather than the negative beliefs that they, that they often form. So parents sort of doing their best, just they don't realize. So the question that parents need to ask is, is not is my child learning something, not are they happy, not are they doing what I want them to do. Those are relevant. But the most important question for parents to ask is, what is my child concluding? And at what cost? Yeah, I can get my kid to do what I want him to do, but if he's going to form the belief I'm powerless, how is that going to affect him the rest of his life? Mm. So the That's question a great you question. always need to ask as a parent is, is, what is my child concluding? Right. And if it's something negative, go back and clean it up, which I've done thousands of times with my two girls. Yeah. I, you know, I walked away and said, hmm, I wonder what she would conclude out of that, and went back in and had a conversation and said, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant, and... Mm. You know, tried to fix it up as best I could. Wow! That's, that's and so there's it, so, so you you can actually um, stop the belief from taking hold. Even if you've had the situation with your kids, you can go back in and and kind of investigate a little bit how they've been holding that. Yeah. Well, if you do it as the beliefs being formed early, because rarely will, unless it's something very traumatic. I mean, you see somebody killed, or you're in war. I mean, you have post-traumatic stress. But most of our beliefs are not formed out of one instance with mom and dad doing something. It's out of many. So where our parents do something over and over and over again, at some point we say, what does it mean, whether it's the fifth time or the 50th, I don't know how, how many. Right. But at some point when something happens over and over, you say, oh, I guess this means I'm not lovable, or I guess yeah. this means I'll never get what I want or whatever. Yeah. So and it occurs to go me. back in and, and clean it up along the way, you can be very careful of what you do. You can... Uh, uh, as I say, go back in and, and say, you know, what, what, what did it mean to you? What did you conclude? What did you feel about what I said? And then just try to explain if you do that. But the, and the so trick given is to the, ask yourself that question in advance as you're interacting with your kids and make sure you do things that will lead to positive beliefs rather than negative beliefs because it's the beliefs ultimately that are going to do. You want your kids to be happy, successful, have great relationships, do what they want to do, enjoy life, contribute, etc. And all of that is a function of their beliefs. One set of beliefs will have that happen, and another set of beliefs will keep it from happening. So ultimately, if you want your kids to grow up and be happy and successful and contribute in life, it's going to be a function of the beliefs they form out of their interactions with you as a parent. 
so as an adult, I, I can see that people in the workplace um, would almost, um, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously seek validation for these limiting beliefs. So if I've been told as a kid, um, oh, you know, you're wrong, or that, that, you, don't, you, don't, you never think things through the right way. So when I go into the workplace and I offer an opinion or something, and the, and the first time I hear somebody say, well, no, that's not exactly the way it is, I immediately go right back into that place of, I guess I don't know anything. I'm not capable. I'm not competent. Nobody's interested in what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the belief, and all that for you is is evidence. For somebody else who has the belief, I'm capable, I'm competent, I make a difference, they hear that and they say, well, what don't you like about my idea and why couldn't we try it? Mm-hmm. And somebody who has the limiting beliefs will say, hmm, I knew it. Well, this now, is, how can I, someone... I'm, nobody's interested in what I have to say here. I'm not important around here. So if you see that happening with colleagues, how can you help them? Well... As I said, information doesn't usually, in most cases, make any difference. So really what you need to do is to, is to help them discover what the beliefs that they might have are and eliminate them. I mean, my, my ultimate dream is, is to have this available so that everybody in the world understands the process. And uh, the, the, my dream is, it can be captured in a little story with my wife. Shelley, a few years ago, got on a, uh, she goes to the gym every day, and she went one morning and got on the treadmill. And a friend of hers who she hadn't seen in several years got on next to her, and Shelly said, how you doing? And she started talking about her relationship, and it broke up, and it was a terrible thing and all of that. And normally, what do you do? You commiserate, you have empathy, maybe you give some suggestions or advice, etc. What Shelly did is she says, well, what would you have to believe to have gotten into that situation and, not, you know, and stayed in as long as you did, etc.? And she found two or three beliefs, and in the next 40 minutes, she helped her eliminate three beliefs that were responsible for the problem to begin with. And my dream is for all teachers and parents and friends and everybody to uh, get to the point where they can do this so that instead of giving advice which doesn't fit the box so it's ignored or just empathize or something like that, we're in a position to be able to help each other. Well, you so know, and when in you the say meantime, that, Morty... I, mean, I have packages of, of beliefs that can help people. I have online packages, streaming video and DVDs, and we... We work with people all over the world on the phone. I think we probably work with people in over 50 countries uh, where people call us and say, this is our problem, and we then find the beliefs and help them eliminate them, or we give them a package of beliefs for particular problems. But the goal, my, my ultimate dream is, is to put myself out of business because everybody in the world sort of knows how to do it, and it just becomes part of life. Mm. Well, and it requires us as individuals to really be grounded in thinking and and connecting to individuals. I mean, you know, Shelley did that with her friend because she was really listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, besides she had already, of course, learned the process, but she yeah. was really listening. She, she was really helping her to ferret things out. And so... Tell us how people can learn more about this and how they can um, move into to this practice. Well, there's, if you want to learn more about it, the best place is to go to my blog, which is just MortyLefko.com, M-O-R is in Robert, T-Y-L-E-F is in Frank, K-O-E.com. And I've got about 80 
uh, blogs in which I describe every aspect of the LEFCO method and all the different processes. We also have processes that decondition feelings and a whole bunch of other stuff. So everything you could possibly want to know about how this works and why it works and how to apply it, you could learn there. If you actually want to eliminate one belief and see what the experience is like, then you'd want to go to recreateyourlife.com. Just the word recreate, R-E-C-R-E-A-T-E, recreate your life, no spaces uh-huh. or dashes, recreateyourlife.com, and uh, you'll just uh, be able to eliminate any one of the three most common beliefs that almost everybody we've ever worked with have had. I'm not good enough, I'm not important, mistakes and failure are bad. And that's a way to actually get an experience of it. When you eliminate a belief yourself and have that experience, it's a lot more powerful than just sort of hearing about it. Well, this has been great, Morty. We've had a wonderful time having you aboard this morning. And the book is Recreate Your Life, Transforming Yourself and Your World. The website is recreateyourlife.com, mortylefko.com. Morty, this is a great gift that you've given the world. And uh, I, I support that goal you have of, of you know, having this be just the way of things so people can live life that's more full and satisfying. Thanks for being with us today, Morty. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the conversation, and hopefully your audience will uh, find value in it, too. I know they will. And remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.